So let's hang on to those words that we've heard this morning. It's been brilliant how God just, just sets the agenda, really. So if, if any of those words that have been said this morning, if, if it rings true with you, then, then at the end of the service this morning, we'll, we'll, there'll be time to pray. Find people to pray with. Leadership team are here. Um, please don't go w- without getting prayer. So do take a seat. And thank you, band. George, Mike. Um, as I say, it's a great, great pleasure to hand over to, <laughs> he's getting his notes ready, um, to Ross and Miriam, and I'm um, going to hand over the mic, and I say, great warm welcome to them. Yes? So here we go. <laughs> so I'm not very good at this handover stuff. That's all right. Thank you very much. Oh, is that, am I okay? Not too loud, not burning anyone's ears or anything. Um, sorry, I do have a lot of notes. Um, I didn't used to need many, sort of about 10 years ago. I had a great brain, which could remember many things, and then children came along. And my brain is more of a kind of mush of CBBs and um, raisins and all sorts of things, so I do apologize. But good morning, Teesside Vineyard Church. It's, it's an absolute pleasure, an absolute honor to be able to come up and spend some time with you guys. Um, we are from Highway Vineyard Church, which is in Stratford, East London. So it's a slightly different environment. It's very urban. Uh, we have a lot of issues going on in the area in which we're situated. It's very multicultural as well. Um, but we're still part of the Vineyard family, and we still share the same theology, the same ethos and the same passion for Jesus Christ. Uh, Miriam, who is sat here, is my wife. Uh, we've been married for 16 years, I believe. Nearly 16 years, corrected. Um, and we have three children. We have um, two girls, Olive and Thea, and a boy called Elijah. Uh, they are down in London, staying with some friends at the moment. So hopefully... They are absolutely fine. I'm sure they have. We've checked in with them. They have a puppy to play with down there, so they are more than happy. There they are up there. Sorry, I was meant to indicate whenever we needed a slide change. I'll, I'll, I'll do like a pretend clicker or something next time. Okay, there we have Elijah at the top, Olive with our cat Milo, and Thea, and that is Stratford in East London, so quite near to the centre. Okay, as, as Keith uh, mentioned earlier, and as, as we've really heard God um, communicate to us, there obviously is a lot going on. We see it in the news all the time. There's, there's the coronavirus, and, and obviously it's having a big effect on the, the nation, but also the world in which we live, and we can't really escape the effects at the moment. And throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, the message that we continuously get from God is do not fear. Okay, it's do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Okay, and this is an opportunity because we see that the world will turn to panic, the world will turn to fear. Okay, but we as a church are called not to anxiety. We are not called to fear. We are told do not fear. So this is an opportunity for us to show calm in the face of the storm, to be a place of hope and a beacon of light to the community around us. Okay, so I just want to encourage you, you are called to be that right here in Teesside, okay? And I really believe that God will use you through this time to just stay close to what God's saying to you, keep listening, be obedient, step out, be bold, okay? Amen? Great. Okay, this morning we will be looking at a passage from Acts 2, and it's from verse 42 
onwards. I'll just give you a moment to find that in your Bibles, which I'm sure you've all brought with you. And the context is this, that this is the early church. Jesus has recently ascended back to heaven after his death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit has brought down fire from heaven and it has equipped the disciples. At this point, they begin to speak in tongues and Peter preaches to a large crowd that's gathered there. And when we read this and, and, and we've read the, uh, the accounts from Luke and Matthew, we can see that Peter is gone from a place of fearing for his life. He has come from a place of denying Jesus. Even to a small child, he denies Jesus, that he was a follower. We go from that to seeing that Peter is prepared to risk his life and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we begin to see the gifts of the Spirit manifest themselves. And then we come to this passage in Acts 2, and it describes the early stages of development of the church in Jerusalem. So I'm sure you've all had a chance to, to find that verse, and it's up there as well as if by magic. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this morning, uh, we are going to be looking at the importance and potential of the local church. I have a suspicion that you may have heard a similar topic recently once or twice. I did ask if I could talk about hamsters instead, but that was a no-go. So we are going to go with the importance and potential of the local church. I've heard a number of pastors reply when asked, what is your vision for the church? If you could have your church look like, like anything, what would it look like? And the response that I normally hear is I want to see an Acts 2 church in the modern day setting or I want to see a first century church in the 21st century. And there's probably, with most pastors, there's an emphasis on the number being added to daily because every pastor wants to see a large church. I think the church in Acts was amazing and we read the accounts and we see uh, people sharing everything that they had and we see miracles happening and people just getting together all the time to pray and to see God's presence descend. And it's inspiring and it's romantic. And we, for, we can easily forget how much hardship these guys actually went through. That actually it was a really tough time. But also when I hear that response that we want to see a church like the one in Acts 2, I can't help but feel that maybe the disciples that were around at the time, if they heard that, they'd feel a little bit disappointed they might actually question what we've been doing for the last 2,000 years, that we need to go all the way back to the beginning again. Maybe there's a question of, have we been doing a good enough job over the last 2,000 years building the church? And I think it's fair to say over the course of history that the church has faced a lot of criticism. Some of it has been justified and some of it completely unfounded and wrong. But it's key that we remember that the church is called to convey the heart of Christ to the world and for the world. If the church is not Christ-like, then it is portraying a false impression of who Jesus is 
and what he stood for. The church, therefore, in the big scheme of things, it has the potential to transform a community to bring light into the darkness, to be bringers of hope in hopeless situations, to be bringers of hope in the sort of situations that we're seeing at the moment where the world is going mad around us. We can bring hope and light into those situations. But also, if the church is handled incorrectly, it has the potential to drive people further away from the light and into the darkness, and that has happened in the history. Yay, there we go. So the key questions I want to ask this morning are, how do we ensure that we are a light-bringing church? And if I break that down a little bit, that is how, how we're viewed or perceived externally, how we are viewed or perceived by the world. We're going to look at how do we replicate, replicate a Christ-likeness as a body of believers. So how do we view ourselves internally as a body of believers? How do we view ourselves as a church? How do we view each other? And thirdly, how do we fulfill our potential in growing and strengthening the kingdom of God? So how do we interact with the, with the heavenlies? How do, we, how do we really bring heaven down to earth and see that in the world around us? Okay, I'm going to try this again. Great. Okay, so how do we ensure that we're a light-bringing church? Perhaps an easier way of looking at this is how do we do mission? Okay, growing up, I, I always thought that doing mission, after reading lots of books, including the Bible, I thought doing mission was going to another country. And it would probably be a country where I didn't speak the language. Um, I was culturally completely unaware. I had no experience about this country. I haven't read about this country. I don't know anyone from this country. Everyone would, would look different from me. But through divine interactions, I'd meet the right people at the right time. And through the power of God, I, I, I would single-handedly transform cities and communicate the gospel. Basically, I would see that I'll be so full of God's power and authority and his presence that no one would actually need to understand a word I said. They would just, just from me being there, they'll be falling to their knees under the power of the Holy Spirit. It turns out apparently this isn't how it works. So I, I had a very lazy and actually, if I'm being honest, an unloving perspective on mission that was more concerned with glorifying myself and puffing myself up than actually loving the people that I met. And I would read about great men and women of God and some of, some of these guys would just be walking down train carriages and they'd, be, they'd have people falling down at their feet, repenting of their sin and just crying out for God. And these people would just be walking past and, and it's just the presence of God walking with these people. And, and I wanted to be like that and I would read about these people like Smith Wigglesworth and I would think, yeah, I'm going to be like that. I'm going to pray and pray and pray. And then I'm going to walk up and down these train carriages and I'm going to see it happen. And I'll be going up and down to the, to the toilets. I'll be going up and down to the buffet carts. And no one was falling down. And I, I didn't know what was going on. I was sure that I was doing something wrong with my walk with God. But the truth is this, that we can get so taken up seeking God to equip us and fill us and to bless us. And we want his power to change nations, but we neglect to do the basic things that he's already called us to do. God is more interested in the love and compassion that we show to others than in our ability to prophesy and our ability to speak in tongues. 
and even in our ability to raise the dead if we, if we have the boldness to do so. And if you look in the Gospels, you actually see that even at times Jesus gets fed up with being asked to perform miracles. And that's because at times it's just being used as a tool to entertain. It doesn't come from a place of, of mercy and compassion. They're saying, God, show us more signs, more signs, more signs. Now, during the height, the height of the tele-evangelist craze in the 1980s, some of you may be aware of a man named Peter Popoff. Is anyone aware of that person? <laughs> wow! <laughs> what a surprise. This was a man who at the time was widely known in certain circles. He was doing the circuit around the USA, uh, and he was drawing in large crowds. We're talking about hundreds of thousands at times. Uh, the reason, there he is. The reason being that Popoff would accurately announce home addresses, and he would know about specific illnesses of audience members during his so-called healing sermons. And this was a feat that he implied was due to uh, God-given ability and divine revelation. It came to a point, however, that Popoff's methods were exposed by a man uh, called James Randi. And it turned out that Popoff's wife was sat behind, uh, behind a curtain. She had a load of cards that had been filled out by audience members. These were prayer request cards. And she was feeding information through a radio transmitter to an earpiece that Popoff had. Um, Popoff would receive the information via that earpiece and then he would be repeating that information to astonished audience members. Now, whilst Popoff was eventually exposed and he did lose a following at the time, he has since made a comeback. He is now earning millions again, selling blessed holy water, amongst other things. Now, instances such as these, I think it's fair to say, have left an unpleasant taste in the mouth for us Christians. And it has also led to an increase in cynicism for the world around us. If you couple this um, with the growing influence of social media, with the unrealistic expectations um, that we have for unrealistic lifestyles that we see, they're always being portrayed. And it would be fair to suggest that most people feel that to survive in a world that would try and take advantage of a naive generation, um, that we have to become a cynical people. I think we've come to a point where the world has become extremely cynical also when it comes to the miraculous, where we always need to see proof, we need to see evidence all the time. A photo or video may have even been photoshopped. Maybe it could be a pop-off style setup. We have magicians performing mind-blowing tricks on urban streets. Now the thing is, miracles will inspire some. It will amaze some and it will lead some to Christ, but actually it will also turn others off. It will feed further cynicism, particularly over the motivations of those that they perceive as attempting to trick them. However, I believe that the church needs to now lead with the fruit of the Spirit, with love and kindness and integrity. But we back that up with the gifts of the Spirit. So we start out, we start out with a relationship, we start out by saying God loves you. You know what? God loves you. He's passionate about you. We as a church are here for you. We want to support you. We want to pray for you. We want to look out for you. But also, God is powerful. Okay. God's heart is not ultimately to show that power, but God's heart is to show his love. God's power, God's power is ultimately tied into identity. Okay. 
Um, Jesus performed miracles to identify who he was because people were looking out for a miraculous Messiah. But also Jesus performed miracles out of compassion and out of mercy. He wasn't ever to entertain. So if we know that to bring light, we first need to bring love. What does that look like? What does that practically look like? We can, we can theorize about it and we can say, um, you know, this is the theory behind these things. But what does it look like in the everyday? Now, to love a community, to love the community around us, we first need to show an interest in that community. I think that's fairly basic. To love the community, we have to be interested in the community. We as a uh, family, myself, Miriam, and our three children, we all traveled up um, a few weeks ago, actually just to kind of get a feel for the church, to, to meet a few people, to see our friend Tim. Um, and it was great. We, we got a sense of the heart that you guys have for the community around you through the food bank, through the, the holiday lunch club that you do. Um, you're reaching out to the families of the area, and that's amazing. And it's often through those practical things, the basic things like food and like clothing, that we can show love to those around us. It's through those food banks, through the Holiday Lunch Club, that you provide for that community. And you are showing the love of God. You're showing that you care. and You're showing that God cares as well. And you're showing a care for the physical needs. It's not just about, can I make you become a Christian? Can I get you into the church? Although, obviously, we want people to come to know Christ because that is the ultimate prize but actually we also care if they can feed their children that day. Okay, so wherever possible, the role of the church is to help with those physical needs, with the food, with the clothing, but it's also to recognize where those needs go beyond that, into the mental needs, where it goes into the emotional needs, and where it goes into the spiritual needs. The job of the church isn't to tell people what they should need. It's not to tell people what they should be doing. It's not to set up programs or to tick boxes, but it's showing compassion to meet the needs of the community where they find them. And this can be found in the everyday interactions. It, it can be as simple as just being a good neighbor, just being good to the people positioned around you. It can be about being generous with your time and with your resources, both to the church, to your neighbors, and to the people around you to feed and to clothe the homeless. And actually, on a practical note, Maybe make it a habit just to carry some loose change around with you. Carry five, ten pounds. The number of times that I've been stopped in the street and asked for money, but I just have cards with me, I have to apologize. There's nothing I can do. But actually be intentional to start carrying a little bit of money with you. Obviously, we need to have discernment with it, but just be, be open to that prompting, that provoking of the Holy Spirit. Actually, this person really needs this money a lot more than you do for your coffee or whatever it is this person needs to eat tonight. So be an intentional witness. Don't get caught off guard and be proactive with it. And it's also about being Jesus to people in your everyday. Just be Jesus to people. You know Jesus. Just be more like Jesus. Okay. How do we replicate a Christ-likeness as a body of believers? I don't even need to turn around now. I know. I know it's going to be on there. Okay, so this is concerned with how we view ourselves internally as a body of believers. In the passage that we read earlier um, in the book of Acts, Luke, the author, recounts that deep sense of togetherness and that deep sense of community within the early church. The church was called to do life together. 
Now, this church wasn't just a Sunday morning service church. This was a church on a mission together to draw down the kingdom from heaven and to, to in turn, expand it here on earth. The passage says that they would meet daily and they would break bread together. They would meet daily and break, break bread together. I don't know many churches that meet daily to break bread together. I don't know any churches that meet daily to break bread together, I'll be honest. As a church, imagine this church. If you met daily, if you imagine now, I think most of you would probably start to burn out, if we're being honest. You're going to start burning out. I think it would be a struggle in today's context. And I want to actually, I want to lift any burden, burden off you, any feeling of guilt that maybe you're not doing enough, okay? Because there's context to it. Firstly, the early church were expecting the imminent return of Jesus, okay? The church in Acts were expecting Jesus to come back at any moment. Now, if you imagine that you got a memo or an email and it was, it was from uh, Jesus at heaven.com, wherever it was, okay? You have been notified that Jesus is coming back six months' time. He's on his way, okay? I think the church is going to look very different. Okay, we're going to be meeting daily, we're going to be praying, we're going to be fasting. There's going to be a real buzz because we're going to be excited about uh, what the new heaven and earth is going to look like. Okay, we're going to be really on fire at that time. Secondly, the time pressures were different. Communities of believers would be very localized. There weren't so many people, they weren't so spread out. So if you, all of you guys live on one street, you're going to be, it's, it's a lot easier to meet regularly. You're going to be passing by all the time. You just pop in. There'll be a place where you can all go, and it'll be very easy to do life together. Coupled with the demands of modern life, life is so different. That's what life was like then. Life now is demanding. Okay? Everyone and everything is after your time. Everyone and everything is after your resources. What has felt like major jumps forward in convenience and entertainment has instead become a means by which you can never switch off. Okay, it's always nagging you, wanting your attention. I believe it was maybe in the 60s or 50s, they're expecting that our, that our time of work would go right down where we'd be spending maybe a couple of hours a day working, but actually it's all going to be done by robots and we can just have lives of leisure. That hasn't turned out to be the case and actually we are working more hours and having less free time than we've ever done in history. Prior to 1879 and the invention of the light bulb, the human race in general wasn't operating past sunset for obvious reasons. Although there were gas lamps at the time, they were not so common and they came in not long before the bulb itself. There's a quote by John Mark Comer. I think it helps give us a bit of perspective. He says this, I used to read biographies of great men and women from history who got up to pray at four o'clock in the morning. St. Therese River Villa, John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon. Now I think, wow, they are way more serious about Jesus than I am. True. But then I realized that they went to bed at seven o'clock. After nine hours of sleep, what else was there to do? Okay, so how do we take the essence and call to be a close-knit community of believers into the modern Western world where time is at a premium. If you find that you're consistently overwhelmed within this modern world in which we find ourselves, 
I just want to encourage you to make some lifestyle changes. It's okay to make changes. And actually, the call is to become countercultural. We don't just follow what we're told we should follow by the world, but actually we're followers of Christ. So there's, a, there's a recommended book by Pastor John Mark Comer from which we have taken that quote. I believe it's still up there. It's just there in the corner. It's a lovely blue and white color. Two of the best colors in the color spectrum. Um, it can, yes, it contains a quote. I would encourage you just to grab a coffee, find some space, have a read, and um, turn your phone off as well. Turn your phone off. Come away from technology. Jesus had a rhythm. He had times of intense ministry. He had times where he had thousands gathered around him, and he would be uh, pouring himself out. He also had times with just a select few, where he'd be teaching and, and just doing life together. And he'd have times by himself with the Father. Okay, so he had a rhythm. To be Christ-like, I believe we need to find a rhythm like Jesus did in our own lives. To operate better, we need to operate from a place of calm and peace. And it's much better to do that from, than from a place of hurry and a place of stress. Now, I understand that there will be some people here who, who are living a crazy, hectic lifestyle, especially if you've got small children. Um, my, I just, yeah, I feel for you. I've been there. Um, however, some of you, you, you may feel that you've got a really slow pace of life. And you may feel that um, actually maybe you're kind of getting a little bit bored. And I just want to encourage you, if that is you, I just want to encourage you to, to really pray for a heavenly perspective like they did in Acts. They had that heavenly perspective in Acts too. They, they really felt that heaven and earth were going to come together in a massive, major way at that point, okay? And I just want to, I, I want to pray over you a heavenly perspective that you'd start to see things through, through God's eyes and, and, and what's coming, not just through what you see in the material, but also what's happening in the spiritual as well. So I just want to, we'll pray for that. Um, okay, where are we? Okay, you had a rhythm, hurry and stress. Okay, so that's on an individual level. Okay, but as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, that we are the body of Christ with each one a different member or part of it. To work well as a body, we need to know the part that each member plays and to know and to communicate between each member. Each member also needs to be committed to the whole. Now, at this point, if anyone doesn't feel that they have anything to offer, I just want to politely disagree with you. That is not the case, okay? God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you within his church. He has given you gifts. He has given you um, a calling, okay? He's given you something very, very unique. We have the gifts lifted, uh, listed um, by Paul, but actually God has given you so much more as well. It's about the personality he's given you, the character he's given you, the ability to, to persevere under stress, under difficult times, okay? God has given you something unique, and you are called to really bring that into the body of Christ. You may feel that you are not enough, but God disagrees with you. And actually, by depriving the church, by depriving the body of Christ of what you have to give, then you are doing the church a disservice as well. So you have a duty to get involved and bring your gifts. Um, where, where have I got to? Okay. I also believe that, that you may feel that your gifts don't quite fit in. Okay. You may feel they don't fit in. And it might be that actually 
we need to be flexible with how we view church. Maybe we're being too restrictive with church. Okay, God has given you his gifts for, for a reason. And I feel that God brings the body together and, and God has a design for the church. None of your giftings are by accident. So maybe we need to kind of reimagine how we see church to be able to really kind of let God's gifts flourish and be exposed. Okay, uh, for, if, if you want, for, for further information, if you would like to access more resources about identity, uh, about giftings, um, how you can develop and nurture those gifts, then please come and see myself and Miriam at the end. Um, there are free spiritual gift surveys, there's the Enneagram, personality tests, and they can just help bring more clarity as well to, to God's calling on your life and to the giftings that he's given you. You may not be quite aware of all the gold dust that he's put in you, but actually let's, let's look at how those things can be drawn out. Uh, so please, yeah, come and chat to myself or Miriam. We'd be more than happy to, to see how we can help. Okay, so we're called to, to come together as one with our gifts, our personalities, our dreams, and our visions. And to visualize how we work together, I want to tell you a story. And this is a, this is a story about a footstool. Um, it's one that we used to have in our living room. This footstool was really, really comfortable. Um, we used to put our feet up on it. It was great because it had a sort of a bit at the top. We could push it up and then we could put all the things in it. And, and if we had someone coming around, we could quickly tidy up because we could just stick everything in it quickly and then shut it down. So that was really helpful. And when it came to us, it was a broken tatty neglected footstool and then Miriam through her genius covered it and made it whole again and it became this amazing precious member of our family it was beloved it was popular and it was part of the family but there was one problem with this footstool every now and then someone would stub a toe on it weeks or months would pass and then, alas, another footstool-related injury would occur. It was so unassuming, it was so soft and welcoming, and yet it was a world of pain waiting to happen. And I think between us we broke about three toes and all until we made the dif- difficult decision that we were going to get rid of that footstool. Each time someone would break a toe, and during that time, we'd just be really, really careful with it. We'd be hopping on one leg or um, she'd just be like defending it all the time. Um, you wouldn't go barefoot. You'd always have to wear slippers or something. And you'd always be putting more weight on the other foot. No one was playing football around that time because it was, um, there were too many injuries. So you would put that toe, you'd put that whole foot in a safe space. I think sometimes as a body, we need to act in the same way. We need to look out for where the pain is. We need to protect where the pain is. If we pretend, maybe for a moment, that I was using that footstool story as a metaphor rather than uh, just a pointless way of filling some time, uh, then we might conclude that we should treat each other in the same way that we do with our own bodies, with the same dignity that we would do to a broken toe. Part of being a community is to mourn with each other. It's to cry with each other. It's to protect each other, but it's also to celebrate with one another. We're called to operate as a loving church, preferring one another 
in love. It is through this that the church becomes attractive, not just for what it can provide to a community of unbelievers, but also as a space in which the Spirit of God can freely operate. Now, there's no point in setting up the greatest work of evangelism in history. So this blows everything that the early church did out of the water. You know, we're reaching the whole of Teesside. We're getting out of Teesside, actually, now. We're, we're doing the whole of the northeast, over to sort of Carlisle, all the way down through the country and actually spreading into new nations with the evangelism that we're doing. And it's amazing. But actually, if what we're doing is inviting people into a church which is dysfunctional, which is broken, which hasn't got the Spirit of God, then it's pointless. Okay, so we need to protect and to grow and to strengthen the body of Christ so that we've got a good, safe space to bring people into. Okay, how do we fulfill our potential in growing and strengthening the kingdom of God? So the first question is, the most obvious question, what do we mean by the kingdom of God? Uh, The Vineyard UK and Ireland website provides a helpful snapshot explanation of the kingdom of God. It says this, What are we Christians praying when we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Very simply, the kingdom of God is what things would be like if Jesus ran everything and if his will was done everywhere. The kingdom of God is what things would be like if Jesus was in charge. When we pray your kingdom come, we are saying that we want this situation to be like what it would be like if you, Lord, were in charge, if your will was done. We say the kingdom has come when the Lord totally has his way and when he is running the show. Throughout the Old Testament, we read that the patriarchs and the prophets are continuously striving to carve out sacred spaces. We have uh, Moses climbing to the top of a mountain, or the Levites following the detailed regulations of the law. It's all in order to meet with the presence of God. Uh, Since the day of Pentecost, as we read in the book of Acts, we are in an exciting privileged position of being able to carry the very presence of God that people like Moses was trying to seek. We carry it with us and we carry it wherever we go. The presence of God is mobile. It's not tethered to a sacred space anymore. Rather, we become the sacred spaces themselves through the Holy Spirit of God and through the sacrifice of the Son, Jesus Christ. And there is a reason for this. It's not by accident The church is not called to be self-seeking. It is not called to be self-rewarding. The role of the church is not solely to serve the body, but the role of the church is to also serve the kingdom of God. If the church was to focus only on the body itself, there would be no need for the presence of God to venture out of these walls. We could just meet here together. We could experience God and we could just... um, keep this as our sacred space or as our sacred building. So it's important that we ensure that our focus is not on how we grow our church, it's on how we grow the kingdom of God. I believe that as a consequence of of that kingdom focus, God will inevitably grow the church. I believe it's, it's a consequence of that growing of the kingdom. But actually, as a side note, we shouldn't be left disappointed if it's not our own churches that God grows. Okay? The fact that God is growing church, the fact that God is growing his kingdom should be sufficient. Um, We have a, back in Stratford, we have a 
a, a Stratford leaders meeting, and this is um, where all of the, the leaders in the churches in Stratford come together and we look at how we can bless our community, how can we invest in our community and really see the kingdom of God grow in East London. Not all of the churches are invited, attend, but all churches are invited. And it's in unison together that we run night shelters for the homeless. We run food banks for those who find themselves in financial trouble. We have street pastors to look out for those who have put themselves in vulnerable positions, normally through too much drink, Uh, as well as running youth initiatives with organizations such as Youth for Christ. Now, it's through this collaborative approach that we can all contribute to many areas of need in East London. The alternative is that we try and take that burden on fully ourselves and, you know what, we can't do that. In all honesty, we can't do that. We can't be everything to everyone. So we work together, we come together. And the unity of the church is is really important for the kingdom of God. I think it was, if I remember rightly, I think it was Polycarp who was a disciple of John the Beloved. And as he came close to the end of his time on earth, it was his greatest prayer and, and his greatest fear as well is that the church would be kind of sectioned up, that it would become divided, that it would um, start to put its differences before its commonalities, before what it had in common and the gospel of Jesus. And that has happened over time. Church has become segregated and, and, and we've, we've looked for times to, we've looked for ways of finding differences rather than coming together to, to really see the kingdom break through. Um, so it's important that we have a kingdom mentality. That means having a kingdom lifestyle. It means having integrity in your everyday. It also means proactively looking to bring God's will and presence in your everyday interactions. Now, those of you who are very familiar with the vineyard ethos, the theology of the kingdom of God is very much the now and the not yet. I'm sure you've heard about that before. We are at a point in history where God's kingdom is breaking through. Since Jesus died on that cross, since we've had the day of Pentecost, God's kingdom is breaking through and we have the now and the not yet, but it's not fully here, okay? So what does that mean? That means we will pray for people, we will pray for healing, we will pray for the miraculous. Sometimes we will see the miraculous and that is amazing, but sometimes we won't, okay? And sometimes it doesn't actually feel like there's any rhyme or reason why one thing is happening and the other isn't. It is the way that it is. We are called to pray always, regardless of whether we think something's going to happen or not. We pray for it anyway, okay? Because we have compassion, because we have mercy. We're not fearful of looking silly. We're not fearful of looking stupid. That's what we do for the gospel, okay? And for love and compassion and for the maybe, for the now part of the kingdom. Uh, at Highway Church, uh, Highway Church Stratford, we regularly pray for healing. Um, we, we do it most Sundays and we do see healing. We do see the miraculous and it's incredible. And sometimes we don't see it. And it is the way that it is. And I just want to encourage you, if the thought of offering to pray for someone uh, to see healing feels daunting or a step too far, I just really want to encourage you to start out within this body of Christ, Okay. If you see someone who needs healing, if you see someone who, who needs a touch of God, pray for them, step out, let it be part of your lifestyle, 
And then the more that you do that, the more you, it becomes part of your lifestyle. You'll find yourself doing it for people that you wouldn't have before. It just becomes natural. It becomes normal. Um, my parents aren't Christians, um, but you, you start praying for people who, who aren't Christians, and you pray for them because you, you have compassion, you love them, and you want to see God um, do something. Oh, and while we're on the subject of prayer, if you, if you want to see God move, if you're starting something new, if you want more of God's presence, it has to start in prayer. That's your starting point, okay? Anything you're building, start in prayer. It's like you're, you, you need to build the foundations. Prayer is your foundations. Start with prayer. Uh, Mother Teresa made famous for her charitable work in India, for which she received the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, said this, Everything starts with prayer. Love to pray, feel the need to pray, often during the day, and take the trouble to pray. If you want to pray better, you must pray more. The more you pray, the easier it becomes. Perfect prayer does not consist of many words, but in the fervor of the desire which raises the heart to Jesus. For me, prayer and worship go hand in hand. Worship is essentially prayer with music. Uh, It makes it easier to navigate prayer. For me, it stirs the soul to pray. And some of you may feel like you struggle to pray. If you struggle to pray, but you love to worship, then worship and pray together. Pray more through your worship. The most amazing prayer meetings that we've had, the most amazing times of prayer have been when worship and prayer have come together. And we've really seen God's presence come in a, in a tangible way. Um, so pray often, pray honestly, and pray for each other. I've got a sense that we're coming towards the end. So, uh, right, coming into the land, the potential of the local church is perhaps in many ways beyond comprehension. Now, we keep coming back to the principles of an Acts 2 church, and perhaps we're always going to struggle to actualize the full potential of the church until Jesus comes back. But through the devotion of the individual to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we put God at the center of our lives and if we love one another and we love the community, we begin to get closer to that potential. We begin to get closer to what we can actually do. Um, I don't know if you do this normally, but can I invite the worship band back up? Is that okay? Great. Um, Should we just all stand where we are? I just want to sorry. I just want to invite you to uh, take a pose of worship. Just close your eyes, put your hands out, ready to receive. Um, if you struggled stand, then please feel free to sit. But I just want you to try and engage where you are. And guys, we're just going to. I'm just going to ask God to to start to put on your heart what he wants to say to you right now. And there could be any number of things which we touched on this morning. Um, It might be that actually you're feeling that you don't belong in church. It might be that you feel that you don't have anything to offer right now. And I just want you to invite God in to speak to you. And I feel like God wants to, if that is you, I feel like God wants to impress on you um, identity. 
And I feel like God is saying to you that it's not about what you bring, but it's about who you are. That he didn't just call you to him for salvation, but he called you in to be a child of God. And he's given you authority. And if that is you, I just want you to to let God begin to minister to you. And there'll be some of you here who, who are feeling overwhelmed and... Actually, you were starting to feel overwhelmed before, but this whole coronavirus stuff is just, it almost feels like a tipping point for you. It feels like you're being pushed, not just to the edge, but you're starting to go beyond it. And I just really feel like God wants to inject some peace into your life. I feel like God is saying that you you haven't been carving out that sacred space. You haven't been finding that quiet time with the Father and I feel like as you are, as you stand here now or you sit here now, I feel that, that God wants you to, to make a pact with him that you, you need to set aside that time and you need to say when you're going to do it right now. You need to say, this is the time each day that I'm going to set aside for you. This is the time when I'm going to seek your peace and your presence in my life. And for others, I feel like you are, you're desperate to see God break out in the everyday, that you are, you're coming along to church and you'll have a taste of God and maybe you're having a taste of God in connect groups. But actually in the everyday, it feels like you're just going through the motions, you're just living your life. And I feel that, that God wants you to be intentional and I feel like God is going to start to bring areas of your life that he wants to start to break out in it might be in your place of work it might be in playgrounds it might be in uh in school it might even be uh, a place a cafe that you go to or a favorite restaurant it might be a place where you've started to start to get to know the staff it might be staff at your local tesco but i feel that that god wants to start to challenge you in a specific place and ask you how are you going to step out for me? And if that's you, I want you to start to ask God that he would give you his heart for the people in that place. He would start to give you his heart for that place. I get that we're, we're coming to the end or maybe gone beyond that. But I just want to encourage you, if you, we spoke a little bit about healing. If you need God's healing, could you just pop your hand up? Okay. Great. If you just keep your hands up for a moment. Can you, if you haven't got your hand up, can you just look around? And actually, obviously, we want to be sensitive to what's going on in terms of uh, there may be some anxiety about coronavirus, so I want you to, to kind of, if you're already near, look for those people with their hands up, and I just want you to pray for those people. Okay, they may, may not want to have hands laid on them, but if you see someone, if you are part of this church and you are part of the ministry team, if you see someone with their hands up, can you just pray for them, please? <laughs> 